Hello and welcome back to Stories RPG, the podcast where we tell stories better together. And today we're doing a right light episode. I am uh, with my co-pilot, Dan. Say hello to the lovely people, Dan. Hello to the lovely people, Dan. I'm in the co-pilot chair. We're flying this plane. So yeah, I didn't, I realized I never introduced myself. Hi, I'm Michael. This is Michael Lowe of luckoflegends.com. You can go check things out there. And also, of course, always at our Patreon, patreon.com backslash stories RPG. So today we're doing a right light episode and we're going to talk about something that is one of my favorite things to do in storytelling, which is world building. Ooh, world building is fun. Even if you don't end up writing a story, just building the worlds can be very fun. Well, I, I love, you know, this is one of the many things about role-playing games that I love is you get to create these worlds and characters and really like think about what they would be like and how they'd work and what makes them interesting and fascinating. All of us have worlds that we fell in love with as kids, right? Worlds that were fantasy worlds or science fiction worlds, worlds with magic, all these other, other realities. And the best ones, the ones that really stick it really takes a little bit of understanding to know why they work. So that's what I wanted to talk about today, if you're down, Dan. Ooh, I love some world building. Absolutely. So I dug this up. I am excited. Um, we did some world building in Partners in Grime, and I want to talk a little bit about the questions we began with, which helped us create a world for these goblins together. But I also want to use, um, really, uh, we, we love talking about great authors who we're fans of. I'm a huge fan of Neil Gaiman, who wrote Sandman and American Gods and all these very adult novels, but is a great, an absolute great storyteller. Yeah, and he's got some kid stuff too. Uh, my daughter loves, fortunately, The Milk. She loved The Graveyard Book. Uh, Coraline, certainly. Absolutely. Lots of great kid stuff from Neil Gaiman. He's too. an unbelievable storyteller. He's actually the protege of another author I love, um, a guy named Gene Wolfe, who did a, a really high-end, very fancy series that I'm in love with called Shadow and Claw, uh, The Book of the New Sun. Anyway, Neil Gaiman, in uh, a master class online, teaches some storytelling tricks, and I have his nine rules, nine parts to building a world. And I thought we could go over these and talk about how we felt about them. Oh, I love it. He's built some great worlds. Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to read out all of them in order. And then I figure we can like deal with each of them as, as they come. So part one, he has remember your childhood influences. Part two, start with intimate details from your own life. Part three, Ground it in realism. Oh, I have so much to say. Part four, decide what's important about the world. Part five, also a favorite, ask yourself weird questions, which I love. Part six, do your homework. Part seven, always carry a notebook. I feel like that's just life advice. Part eight, know, but don't necessarily tell the rules of your world. And then part nine. Let your characters discover the rules by making mistakes. All right. We can start anywhere you'd like. We can go in order. We can jump around. What would you like to talk about first, Dan? 
Well, I think I think number one's a fine place to start here. Just remembering childhood influences. This is just a good spot to kind of uh, help out kids who are wondering what world building means exactly. And it's sort of creating a place that doesn't exist yet, right? So the big ones from from childhood are certainly uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia is a world that was built. Certainly all the Tolkien, Middle Earth stuff. And then kind of more modern that's popular is the sort of world of um, living gods from Percy Jackson or maybe the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Like these are all kind of built worlds that you may be familiar with. I agree. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Gaiman puts in a little hint here. He says, fight the urge to create from an already established fictional place like Narnia or Middle Earth. This is a fan fiction urge. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's an interesting thing to say, know your childhood influences, leverage those, and then immediately afterwards say, but don't do the same thing. Um, because it's almost like a it's a it's it's almost like good advice that that then gets retracted. It's a little confusing. And I think it's there's a little bit there you can parse. What does it really mean? It means whatever worlds you've fallen in love with, they feel familiar to you. So I think about a lot of my settings. They may be unfamiliar or new in one way, but there's always some sort of familiarity to them in, in the core of it. So example, Partners in Grime. There's a game and a, a setting, right? A world in which it's the modern world. It's familiar. You know that there are cell phones and there are people running around, but there are unfamiliar elements. Magical creatures exist um, and they sort of hide out. So that... That feels a little familiar because that's sort of like um, any one of a number of different settings, like Percy Jackson, right? Magic's out there, but for some reason, people don't usually know it's out there and aren't aware of it. Even, you know, some of the um, vampire novels by Anne Rice, you know, magical creatures are out there in the modern world. They're just hidden from, from humans in one way or another. So when you say like, you know, leverage your childhood influences, it means you want your readers or your players to be familiar enough with the world that they kind of understand some of the basics of how it works without having to be told. But the surprising stuff, the stuff that's that's new, it can't just be the same as all the books that you've ever read. It has to be your weird business. And really the big thing to think about is like, what's your favorite parts of those and why do you like those so much? And kind of take the why and bring that with you, but not the, not the specific what, you know? Mm, I think that's an excellent... Excellent way to put it. All right, should we uh, we go to number two? I kind of almost want to jump jump to number five, which is weird. Go ahead. Okay, so number five was ask yourself weird questions. And I really like this. Um, the example they give here is imagine a school, but imagine it's floating. And then even if you have no intention of including these details in your story, it's good to know where the toilets are at a floating school, for example or where the school gets its food from. So those those sound pretty standard, right? But you might not think about toilets, right? But questions like that can lead you to making your world very unique and individual. So if you ask the question, okay, we're in a floating school, right? Okay, where do the toilets go? That can become very interesting because, well, okay, are we portaling all the waste away? Is there some sort of magical way? Where's it taken to? Does that mean if you jump down the toilets, you go through a portal? It might be gross, but it's very unique. And it becomes the more weird and specific the question you ask is, the more 
weird and specific and real feeling your world becomes. It becomes more interesting because it's more unique. In my floating school, we float real high. So all the waste uh, burns up on re-entry. We just dump it out the bottom. Okay. So you're, you're, see, but now you've decided you're in orbit. So now I need to know, how do you manage to keep an atmosphere around this school? Is it magical? Is there some sort of device? And now you've got the potential for plot lines, right? Because what happens when the device that maintains the atmosphere fails? Or when the spell that maintains the atmosphere starts getting weakened? There's a lot there. Is it, are you, do you have gravity then? Or do you guys like leap around at your school? Yeah, these kind of details, little things like that will give you a lot of avenues and they'll add, even if it's only like a little sentence here or there, just having that kind of stuff, it'll help you in the long run. And also, it sometimes it like kind of brings in characters you might not have thought of too. And that's always fun. Yeah, and kind of creates opportunities to do interesting plot lines that you might not have thought about before. I got very excited in Partners in Grime when I asked the question, what's one secret only gobs know? And y'all told me there are portals in the in the golf holes. Like some of the golf holes lead to other worlds. That got really, like for me, I was like, wow, okay, totally going to use that. And if we do another arc... It's totally going to answer the question, where do those portals lead? Where were uh, where were Spug's brothers this whole time? And why did they invite them down into the holes? So there's a lot of there's a lot of excitement and fun and uniqueness to be had from asking those weird questions and kind of chasing them down. All right. So I think next, can I can I kind of combine two? Let's go. I think I think these sort of live together, which is grounded in realism. And also sort of do your homework, right? Mm. These two things together, I think I think the gist of it is, so take um, Percy Jackson, for example. Like, mm. it's still, when it starts, he's in the normal world. He's in school. These are recognizable things. And, um, and then as it gets more fantastic and really leans into the Greek mythology of it all, you can tell that these books are extensively researched by, uh, I think his name is Riordan, the author? Yeah, Rick Riordan, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so that kind of stuff. It's like you want to take the familiar, and then you want to spin that out into fantasy. And the familiar doesn't mean necessarily what you know directly. Like, sure, you you might go to school, or you might have an after school job, or babysit, or do whatever you do. Like these are all kind of mundane things that probably a lot of people do. But you also know, you know, maybe you know a lot about dinosaurs. Maybe you know a lot about knights and wizards, or maybe you have a really big thing for airplanes and space, or fashion or whatever you like, like that can be your entry into the real world. It can be set wherever you want, but just those real details will ground it. And doing the research on those will really go a long way towards making the book feel like real and kind of lived in. Yeah. And you know, I'll add that realism. There's a, that second rule was also like uh, start with intimate details from your, from the real world. For me, I think about Star Wars. So I will posit that the reason that Star Wars is sort of the most uh, successful science fiction franchise has to do with the way the movies made this very strange future feel very real and solid. There are a lot of things about Star Wars that aren't very realistic. For instance, it used to drive me crazy that the spaceships all fly around like planes with air. You can't turn in space by tilting because there's no air under your wings. You would just, you know, spin endlessly. But all the ships do that, right? Part of the reason people don't mind that is we are seeing them like they're planes, and we're used to how planes fly. We're not used to the idea of how spaceships fly. 
But the other piece is the future in Star Wars is very, very lived in. It's dirty. It's grimy. All of the devices look like they've been around for a while. If you fly on a plane, planes don't look crisp and brand new and beautiful. They look like these big, hulking, ancient, kind of lived in, worn down uh, machines. And the reason is that's exactly what they are. They cost a lot of money. And, it, you know, you're not going to just get a new, a new plane every time it gets grubby. By making visually the world of Star Wars, which is this far future, very surreal, very otherworldly um, place, feel like it was dirty and every day and that all these fantastic pieces of equipment were kind of glitchy and, you know, weren't perfect. It made that future feel familiar and feel real. So even a, 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 a world that's as different from ours as Star Wars can be made to feel very everyday if you can put in the details that make it feel familiar to, to us as humans. 100%. And I, I think we should we should back up and do some of these in order because we're going to get lost in the sauce here. Okay. So you you had just mentioned start with intimate details from your own life. And, and I do think that sort, of, uh, that sort of applies into what we were talking about with the grounded and realism thing. It's just that start with, again, kind of what you know, what's real to you. And, uh, you know, change it up a bit because you'll find, you know, you'll have fun that way, I think, too, right? Like kind of imagining a weirder world mm. encompassing your sort of normal world. Yeah. And I will add, you know, in addition to grounding it in realism and things you're familiar with, I think oftentimes a lot of early writers get the advice, you know, write what you know, which means if you've never left school, you're kind of like, well, okay, so basically I'm going to write a school drama or something about my family, huh? Which might not be what you want to do. You might want to have, you know, a totally different story. I would also add, write what you're geeked about, write what you're nerdy about, write what you're excited to write about, and then add those grounding, realistic elements of familiar stuff to, to keep it rooted and to keep yourself focused. So, okay, we're going to do a, uh, a story about knights who are fighting in giant robots. Awesome let's base their personalities off of my, my squabbling brothers and sisters. Cause you know, if I can give each of them a personality that's familiar, even if they're piloting these giant robots, that personality interaction, the way they talk to each other and the way they argue with one another will make it feel real and will kind of ground this otherwise very fantastical story and make it feel familiar. hundred percent. Cause it is real. It's a real person, real people, combined people, take people, you know, splice them together, cut them up, whatever you need, but just, yeah, feel free to pull from life, make things feel real. Yeah. And then, so that covers the kind of first three. Yep. So let's go to four here. Decide what's important about the world. All right. So to me, if you're thinking about, and I love writing fantasy and science fiction, I, I almost think they're silly words because I feel like every story is fantasy. Every story is science fiction. Even if you're writing about the real world, when you put it on the page, it's not exactly what happened. It's not being there. But I love fantastic worlds, uh, worlds that take me somewhere else. And I think when people start making their own worlds, they get really excited about one idea. And then that one idea becomes the one thing about their world. The key here is for me, decide what the elements of that world are that make it compelling. So if I think about Giga City Guardians, Giga City Guardians to me, the brilliant Firefly as a series, one piece is powers, right? Powered people. And what happens to the world 
if you've got a lot of powered people running around in it with the ability to do what they want. But some of the other things, the second piece there for me in GigaCity is, okay, not only what happens to the world, but what happens to individuals. If you have powers in your life, how does it change the way you live? Whether it's Werebear dealing with the fact that he wasn't accepted by his family or Animus having to lose her job because all of a sudden she had these powers she couldn't control or, you know, Jillian, whose whole life has been shaped not only by her own powers, but by her grandfather's legacy and, you know, kind of hasn't been able to live a life outside of that shape that it's taken. So what's important about the world? How powers shape the world and also how they shape the individual. Yeah, and the powers and the differences are going to be a big thing about what's important. Because uh, wh- what's important about the world, I think, can also sort of be thought of as is like, what's the big? What are the big differences, right? So, like, like I said, Giga City. There's powered people. There's the ramifications of all that. And uh, just to go back to those examples I had, so Percy Jackson and also Harry Potter, I think both have a whole thing of a big thing that's important about their world is that it's sort of secretly overlapping with our world. And that's a big thing. That's a big thing in a lot of these too. Um, going way back to like, you know, your John Carters and stuff like that. All this classic adventure stuff is um, the secret world is sort of right there underneath. And then what's important about it, you know, might vary, but that's one big feature. And then, you know, you can kind of go from there. But when you know what's important, you can kind of get away with glossing over stuff that's not so important, which is also very helpful to know. That's actually really crucial. Um you know, there are things you don't want to have to explain. The fewer things you have to explain in your world uh, that that might distract from what's important about your world, the better. Um, so, you know, toilets might be exciting to talk about in the floating school because they might lead you to some interesting conclusions. Or you might decide that, you know, you just don't want to talk about toilets and that's fine. Um, those follow-ups of like, what's core? Um, and I think of these as core questions um, because this isn't just world building. This is also story building. If you have a story about powered people, one of the core questions is always going to be what responsibility does having powers carry? Like once you have the power to change the world, then, you know, what do you do with that power? How do you make sure you're using it responsibly? How do you make sure you don't hurt people or do damage? And I think that animates any superpower story because it's important. If you have massive power, you also have the ability to do real damage and change things for the worse. So how do you make sure, you know, so that becomes a center for your world and for your story. So often your setting can kind of determine the themes of any story you tell within that world. So we did five and six, which are, you know, weird questions in doing your homework, which brings us to seven, which is always carry a notebook and it doesn't have to be a literal notebook. I use, um, I have a document on my phone I use, but have a notebook that whenever you get kind of a stray idea or observation, you know, write it down. And I think, I think crucially here, it doesn't have to be, some people get precious with their notebooks. It doesn't have to be a great idea or a big revelation or anything like that. It could be just like somebody says something, a weird turn of phrase that you want to remember, or you notice a weird detail that you think you'd want to drop in a book or like you get an idea, like you smell something and like the way you think of the smell, you want to note that down. Just little things like it's good to good to collect this stuff, right? 100%. And I will say, I want to I want to emphasize, don't be too precious about your notebook. I said in an earlier uh, episode, my tradition of what I call the dump in every one of my Google documents 
If I don't like uh, something I've written or I decide I want to eliminate it, I don't delete it. I just make a page break and I keep it at the end of the document. I think that's a crucial mentality to take when your your notebook should be there to be the physical manifestation of your messy brain. Write everything down, record everything you want to. Don't worry about if you never go back and read it again, that's fine. You just never know when you're going to have that moment when you're like, wait a minute. You know what? I wrote something about that. Wait a minute. I sketched something out. I remember doing this weird. And you're going to look it up and it's going to unlock a part of your world for you. And you're going to be like, yes, this is how I want to do it. So let yourself be messy in your notebooks. Let yourself, you know, write whatever's on your mind, sketch in the margins. The the important thing is get it down on paper so that if your brain loses it, if you ever want to come back to it, it's there for you and you can use it. Plus you get to carry on a fun little notebook. Who doesn't love that? I put stickers all over mine and yes, I am very, very a fan. I also like having like fun, fun pens. I use a, an ink pen that's got a little calligraphy nib and it's fun to write with. And I write more notes because I have a fun thing that I like to write with. Yeah. I used to carry around for a little bit. I did the nice, you know, a mole skin, which is a kind of a pricey little notebook. And then I realized that I would keep losing them. They weren't worth the money or they would go through the wash or whatever. So I got cheaper notebooks, also put those through the wash. Them being cheaper didn't solve the wash <laughs> issue. So now I have notes on my phone or a little Word doc on my laptop. I, uh, yeah, a physical notebook is great if you can remember to take it out of your pocket every night. I mean, I think it's really cr- crucial. I don't, I don't have pocket-sized, uh, but I have bag-sized, and I, I don't go anywhere without my bag, so I always have it on me. So it's, it's, you know, it's small enough I can take it, but large enough I can really doodle and do all the things I want to do in it. But I also have a sketchbook and I also have Google Docs and I also have a notes app. Just give yourself lots of places to put your put your thoughts when you want to. It's a it's it's a nice way to collect your brain. Yeah, we should come back to this one sometime. I think we could do a full episode on notebooks and note taking and the kind of stuff that's worth writing and kind of how we use it. But yeah, we can come back to that. Absolutely. Let's move on to number eight. Michael, I think you can speak to this one, which is no, but don't necessarily tell the rules of your world. Oh, I'm so, I'm so obsessed with this one. This one's a good one for, uh, for those of you who are playing the games at home. Um, if you're using story games, one of the best tricks you can pull as the storyteller is having certain rules in the world and eight and nine code kind of go together. Don't tell the rules, but know them. And then only reveal them as the characters have the chance to find them out as they're experiencing them. So um, I love doing this. You know, what are the rules in Giga City? Well, I'm going to let the characters bump into some mistakes and figure out, wow, okay, one of the rules is don't go out there unless you know how you're going to look on screen because whoever these guys are, everybody's recording what we do and it could be bad PR and gosh, being a superhero actually comes with all of this unfortunate public relations stuff, advertising stuff. And it means that the bad guys can get at us by creating public relations nightmares for our people and swaying public opinion one way or the other. Um, So another rule, you can't necessarily know who's good or who's, you know, who's doing good things or bad things by looking at them. You really need to interact with them to find out. So initially, oh gosh, it was bricks. You know, bricks are associated with the Scarlet King, so maybe that's a problem. Come to find out, they're actually uh, on the run and, and struggling with 
some people who look externally like they're heroes, but might be creating problems for Giga City. So how do you how do you like to do it? Like when characters discover the rules by making mistakes. So say you're it's one thing in a game, but say you're writing a story. How do you like to kind of run them into problems in a story? Well, so that's a it's I mean, I think of a game and a story as being very similar. The only difference is you have to take on the role of the character and make sure that they don't know all the rules initially. So oftentimes there's a term in, uh, in writing. Sometimes people will talk about this. Certain characters are called ciphers and it's represented as a zero with a slash through it. When you talk about a cipher in a book, what it means is it's a character who is kind of there to act as the reader's proxy. It's the stand-in for the reader. It's a character who doesn't know everything about the world and doesn't have too strong of a personality initially, who's there to kind of wander through the world and find out things about the world as they go. So you mentioned, uh, and I'll bring this up, it's a very old school reference, but I liked it. You mentioned John Carter um, from the Edgar Rice Burroughs novels about traveling to Mars. He ends up uh, on Mars through a, a strange teleportation accident. One cool thing about that world was it's a do your homework grounded in realism plus let your characters figure out the world combo. He shows up on Mars and he has to kind of figure out how Mars works. And first off, he finds out like, wow, gravity's different here. So he can leap these huge distances. So the writer had done some research and found out Mars had lighter gravity, right? So that's why he had his character able to do these giant jumps. He also found out he's much stronger on Mars because things weigh less. So when he ends up in battle with uh, all sorts of various interesting uh, other world people, he uh, he finds out he's really powerful. Even though he's smaller than some of them, he's really strong for his size because he's used to Earth gravity, where things weigh more. So that's also a great example of world building of like, know what to put in and what to kind of avoid, like we mentioned earlier. So the light gravity and the strong thing is like, there's a little bit of scientific background for that. There is, you know, less gravity in this and that. So the research is there, but there's also, there's nothing to breathe there. And it's frigidly, frigidly cold and basically inhospitable to all life. But we gloss over that because that's not the fun part of the story we want to tell. Like that doesn't matter. Well, and at the time he wrote it, those things weren't known for certain, and he was creating an alternate Mars, right? This is the fantasy Mars that existed in his imagination. So he took the parts of the world that he wanted and that would make the story exciting, and he left out the parts that weren't. And the same thing was true about discovering cultures. When he met different peoples, he had to figure out how to communicate with them and what they valued and how their culture was structured. And that was a great way to have his main character be the the vehicle through which the reader was learning about the world. They were learning together, right? They were kind of exploring it and figuring out how it worked and what needed to be done and what needed to happen as, as one, you know, at the same time. Same as a Percy Jackson, right? He had to learn all the rules of the, the half-blood world and heroes and monsters and how the mist works and all that stuff as he yeah. went. He learns it from Pierce Brosnan in the movie, and um, I forget the satyr's name in the book. In Lord of the Rings, you get the main character of Frodo, or even more so, Bilbo in The Hobbit. And The Hobbit's great for younger kids. So if you're a little younger, looking to get into some fantasy, I uh, can't go wrong with The Hobbit. I mean, I, it still works for me. Still works. Bilbo is The Hobbit. He lives in a little farm. He doesn't know anything, and then he gets brought into the bigger world. 
gets kicking and screaming pulled into the bigger world by Gandalf and the dwarves, and he has to learn pretty much everything along the way. And that's how Tolkien basically reveals the whole thing. And a lot of great fantasy and sci-fi books and even kind of um, just fantasy contemporary books have a sort of a travelogue element. And travelogue just means like a story about going place to place. But they do that to kind of uh, lay out the world, especially in the early books. You have the characters like kind of bing bong around like this um, ancient place of the elves and all what there's going on. Like just just a bunch of little stuff like that. I was thinking about a particular book. Um, it's called City of Ghosts. And it has a great example of a, of a character who doesn't know all the rules at the start, but knows a Can little. Can a kid read that book? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's it's dark, but it's it's dark and, and appropriate. Um, and it's really good. The, the main character can see ghosts and has a ghost friend, but doesn't know all the rules of how the ghost world works. And her ghost friend isn't always telling her everything. And she kind of knows that her ghost friend is hiding some stuff. And her family picks up and goes to a city in Europe that is absolutely rife with ghosts, full of ghosts. And there's another, she runs into another character who can see them and sort of starts to find out some of the things that her friend has been hiding and learn some of the secrets. And that, of course, gives us as readers an excuse to learn the rules of the world. So when exactly do ghosts get to pass on? What keeps them here? Um, why do they try to connect with, with human beings? What different kinds of ghosts are there? All these things. So it's a really great example of exactly what you were talking about with Star Wars, that idea of starting out not knowing things and then having some mentors who reveal parts of the world, whether it's an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure for Skywalker or a Gandalf for Bilbo. Um, and, and, you know, as an author, introducing the world to your main character as you're doing to as you're doing for your, your readers. And what is Obi-Wan, if not space Gandalf? And who is Gandalf? if not fantasy Merlin and who is Merlin, if not every shaman figure from mythology since the beginning of time. So yeah. it all goes all the way back. So I think that's, those are the main points of world building. We'll, you know, we'll keep it brief, um, but there's a lot here and I'd encourage you, this is a good exercise, something I always do. I bet Michael does too. We haven't talked about it, but when you have, you know, time, you're daydreaming, this is a great activity for when you are laying in bed, trying to fall asleep. Just try to make up a world with stuff you've never seen. Just just a little mental exercise. Just be like, okay, what is a fantasy world either completely alien to where you live now or kind of running alongside of your real world or what? But like doing some world building can be a really kind of fun way to get a story rolling in your head. I would say that if you wanted to boil all these rules down to a very simple way to do a world building exercise, it's start with a what if. Start with what if and then create something interesting. And then that will lead you to the follow-up questions that grounded in reality. Okay, well, if that's true, then how would it work if this happened? And it'll also allow you to figure out what are the ways in which that would incorporate into the real world, right? And how it would connect. And it'll allow you to explore like, okay, what rules would govern this? And you'll eventually get this, this world which will kind of feel like it has its own sustainable reality. And then that invites you to start telling stories. How would I, who would be the character I'd want to follow in this world? So go try it out, create your own worlds, um, create your own ideas and have fun telling stories out there. Y'all. We'll be having fun doing it here. 
<laughs> every, every time. Much love, everyone. Uh, remember, if you want to play some of these games and tell some stories and get your storytelling engine fired up, check us out on patreon.com backslash stories RPG. There are so many games now to download there. Partners in Grime, uh, Giga City Ghosts. You've got uh, Star Sworn and coming up, there's going to be a chapter four. So be ready for it. Yeah, and we got all the uh, quick start rules. Everything is free on storiesrpg.com. S-T-O-R-I-E-S, just like Stories Podcast. Storiesrpg.com. We got some quick start rules, some stuff you can kind of get in and try. And that's uh, free in the download section there. So check that out too. All right, everybody. Take care and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.